today on Ag News Daily. They use an iPad and what we call a field view drive. And after they install a field view drive, they're able, they're able to view their planting and their harvest information through the iPad. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, combines are rolling. Tomorrow is the first day of fall, and I am super excited to be having some nice fall weather today. I certainly am as well. It's quite a windy one here in Lubbock. I am sitting by my windows and my little rose bushes outside are just getting beat to death by the wind, which is a little sad because I love my rose bushes, but it's a little bit cooler here, uh, mid to high 70s. So not super fall weather or anything like that. I actually saw um, on Twitter earlier today that parts of North Dakota were already in the 32 degree Mm. height range and there was some frost up in the higher parts of North Dakota. So it looks like they're just jumping ahead to winter. Yes, they certainly are. And I'm glad you mentioned weather, Ashton, because you're right, we're seeing some storm action already moving in with some pretty cold temperatures. The storm system is continuing to move eastward through much of the country early this week, already brought in some rainfall across the East Plain. We got some rain yesterday, not a whole lot, I think like a tenth of an inch, so really nothing to write home about. But uh, that's going to definitely definitely push eastward here as we head into key planting seasons. But I think a lot of folks could use the rain. It seems that a lot of areas are experiencing some pretty dry soil temperatures heading into harvest. And of course, we get too dry. That can be pretty dangerous. Combines and equipment can overheat. Uh, So we definitely do want a little bit of rain here and there. But overall, it sounds like we should have a pretty reasonable harvest this season. Well, Delaney, one thing that is on my mind as we're talking about harvest and corn, of course, um, you know, cotton harvest will start up here in the next couple of weeks or so. I have been looking out for some dicamba news and EPA Administrator Michael Reagan says that farmers are going to have access to dicamba related products in 2022. He added that the agency is still analyzing new incident data about its use He was quoted as saying that the EPA is extremely concerned about these reports and is taking steps to better understand the nature and the severity of these incidents in order to assess the efficiency of the mitigations in the 2020 decisions and, if necessary, take regulatory action. And I believe it was in September of 2020 that we saw some new rules about dicamba and labeling. I might be getting that confused with glyphosate, but um, I mean, of course, dicamba, they've been, they being the EPA have been analyzing, you know, it's usage and, and labeling those kinds of things for quite some time now. So hopefully we get some kind of answer here soon. I mean, it, we're already going to be anticipating using dicamba related products in the 2022 growing season. So I guess that's some news there, but really not much, I would say. Oh, and it's good to see we are able to continue to use that technology. Of course, we do have stricter regulations. I really haven't heard too much lately over the past year, two years about dicamba issues. So it seems like things have been put under wraps. But Ashton, speaking of things under wraps, a little bit of an update here, probably some repetition from what you reported yesterday on the rants 
ransomware attack on the Iowa Cooperative, new cooperative located or headquartered, I should say, in Fort Dodge. Well, they've got about 50 elevators. I know you reported that. But uh, Black Matter was demanding $5.9 million to cease this attack. According to one of their spokespeople today, they said that threat has been contained, but they are still on high alert. And just as a frame of reference, Black Matter, I believe, is the one... That was also believed to be behind the high-profile colonial pipeline attack that we saw not all that long ago, Ashton. It's interesting. Um, DTN, maybe we should share this in this week's newsletter, has an interesting kind of article expose about how this type of holdup to our supply chain, our food chain more specifically, uh, could be a very real threat of of terrorist terrorism as we continue to move forward you know if you can control a nation's food supply there's a lot that you can do for leverage when negotiating so it's just an interesting little expose hopefully we don't continue to see this happen but it does pose the question you know how protected are we in agriculture how much security is in place in some of these things especially when it comes to some of the data that we use on the farm and it's very interesting from, you know, someone kind of on the outside looking in, it would seem that, you know, controlling someone's food supply or taking over the ag sector, it doesn't seem like it would honestly be like that big of a deal. And, you know, that someone would have so much leverage if they did that. But I mean, when we're really thinking about it, it could be a very big deal. And it's a little intimidating, a little bit scary. And I feel like the more we go online, of course, the more there is that threat. So maybe some things security wise need to happen. I am no special IT person at all, but I I definitely think it's interesting. And I wonder Mm -hmm. what might happen, you know, moving forward here as we try to be more secure. Well, I think yeah, the food security component is a real threat and is probably one that we all write off because we think, oh, nobody can really get in and infiltrate the entire U.S. food chain system. But I mean, realistically, we could see that happen. We've seen it happen a couple of times now. So those darn Russians, Ashton. Those darn Russians, indeed, Delaney. I am going to move on from this, though, and talk about African swine fever. I don't think it's as exciting as talking about, you know, the Russians taking over our food supply chain, but it is still pretty interesting because it's dealing with African swine fever vaccines. It has been reported that some potential vaccines could be developed and distributed before 2025. Tim Beddington of the U.S. Operations and Global Customer Experience with Zoetis says that it could take up to three more years to develop an active solution, and some of it will depend on if there will be emergency use vaccines available or not. He added that it's likely the FDA and other agencies would grant emergency use authorization. But I wonder if they're only going to grant this emergency use if it reaches U.S. shores. I I don't know. I think it's pretty interesting. Of course, we've been watching the development of African swine fever vaccines and just in China. Recently, we have seen, you know, the use of black market vaccines. We haven't really seen a whole lot of that recently. So I think they might have gotten that kind of under wraps, but I don't know if this really will happen. It says before 2025, that's really just around the corner. It could take up to three more years. I, I don't know. I am a little bit weary of this, but if it does happen, definitely some exciting things going on. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned that piece of African swine fever news, because I remember I saw this on Twitter yesterday, retweeted by Dr. Chris Rodemaker, who's up at Iowa State University. He's a vet up there. I get to talk with him occasionally. But uh, he retweeted this. Haiti, of course, which is on the other side of the Dominican Republic, has, no surprise, reported their first outbreak of African swine fever. And of course, the outbreak started on August 25th near the border of the Dominican Republic. And so far, uh, they have said to have about 2,500 susceptible animals. And that's the kind of question mark we call into play there is what does that mean that they're susceptible? And are they culling these animals? What are they doing to take preventative measures? That's a little bit on the gray side at this point. Well, Delaney, it's really just getting too close to home for me. I'm a little bit nervous about what would happen. I mean, and we've talked about this before, about the measures that the U.S. has already planned to take if it were to reach our shores. But I just would really, really, really hate to see it come into play here. But I I think the conversation um, would be interesting, at least. It certainly will be. It's a discussion we're going to continue to have. I mean, it's just like COVID, you know, you have to continue to adapt. It's become the new normal. It's not a disease that is just going to go away anytime soon, unfortunately, just like COVID. But Ash, and I tell you what, I'm all out of news for today other than chatting markets. What about you? Well, I just had one more thing here kind of to follow up. Yesterday, we were talking about Chinese buying and the phase one trade agreement, those kinds of things. And I just wanted to point out that China's wheat imports have hit the highest level in more than two decades, and the country is currently accounting for 19% of global wheat consumption. Experts are saying that the surge this year can be attributed to China's strong demand for wheat in use in animal feed, replenishing the reserves, and like I said, efforts to meet commitments under the phase one trade agreement. It's kind of a small story here, but I think it leads us well into the markets, Delaney. I agree. And I have one other quick piece of news here as we hop into the markets, and that is yesterday's crop harvest crop progress report. We saw U.S. corn harvest sped up for the week ending September 19th putting us ahead of 2020's pace with now 10% of the nation's corn completely harvested. Corn ratings also improved one percentage point from last week with 59% now in good to excellent conditions. Soybeans also are on their way here to make a steady climb to completion with 6% of the nation's crop harvested ahead of 2020 and on par with the five-year average. Good to excellent conditions were left unchanged at 64% for our soybean producers. So folks are getting out there. I tweeted this out on our Ag News Daily as well as my personal handle, Ash, and I've gotten some really cool harvest photos. So folks, send those to us. We're going to be featuring some of those here throughout the harvest season. But heading into the markets for today, we saw some mixed trade in grains. December corn down five and a quarter cent to close at 516 and a half. The March down five and a quarter to end at 524 and a half. Soybeans saw strength today as the November contract added 11 and a half cents to close at 1274. The January up 11 and a quarter to close at 1283 even. Weakness in the Chicago wheat pit today as the December contract shed 10 and three quarters cents to close at 690. The March down 10 and three quarters to close at seven dollars and three quarters of a cent. Hopping over into the livestock livestock markets for today. 
We saw mixed trade once again here as the October live cattle contract closed 32.5 cents lowered and at 122.45. The Dece down 27.5 cents to close at 127.80. And in feeder cattle, here's really where we saw the most mixed trade with the October contract closing just a nickel loader lower today to end at 156.62.5. The November up 32.5 cents to close at 156.95. And in lean hogs for today, the October contract down 60 cents to close at 84.37.5. The Dece down 62.5 to close at 73.60. And wrapping things up here, Ashen with our class three dairy milk futures. September today, excuse me, October today up 35 cents to close at 17.45. The November up 25 cents to close at 17.11. And with that, Ashen, that wraps up markets for today. So let's kick it over to today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. For today's Tech Tuesday episode, we are talking to Michelle Potiff of the Climate Corporation. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ashton. So, Michelle, why don't you go ahead and tell Delaney and I and, of course, our audience a little bit more about yourself and what you do at Climate Corporation. You bet. So again, my name is Michelle Potiff. I'm the Regional Activation Lead for the Climate Corporation covering most of the Midwest. So what I and my team do is that we try to get as many bear users or any farmers for that matter on the field view platform. So when I say that, that means that we're trying to get them onboarded to the product, show them how to use it, get their fields mapped and make them feel comfortable getting data into the product and then showing them, you know, the different tools that they can use to help them out in their day to day lives. So we work with growers and and we also work through distribution through some of our seed brand dealers as well. Yeah, and Michelle, I'm I'm very familiar with the platform because my fiance helps manage that for one of the seed companies that uh, uses your climate field view technology. But let's dive into that a little bit more. I'm familiar with it, but I know some of our farmer listeners are not. Give us a big high level overview of what climate field view can track in the cab. So climate field view is a tool in which a grower can put into the cab of their tractor. They use an iPad and what we call a field view drive. And after they install a field view drive, they're able, they're able to view their planting and their harvest information through the iPad. Then after they're completed in the planting and the harvest, they're able to take that and run um, what we call yield analysis or run different types of reports where they can show if they did a trial in their field and how that trial would have yield. They can look at weather. They can look at population. They can look at the hybrids that they planted. And so it is a software and a hardware that they use to gather information and then visualize that as they're planting or harvesting in the cap. Michelle, on the Climate Field View website, you talk a lot about optimization of a couple of different things. Why don't we kind of go into that and really see those benefits of these features on Field View? So we do try to make sure that we're trying to help the farmer optimize all of their inputs, right? And optimize how they run their different farming operations. So when they're collecting all of this data and streaming this data in, it helps them make choices on 
seed, on crop protection, on whether they're going to apply a fungicide or not, which hybrid maybe does better on certain soil types than other soil types. So it's helping them make educated decisions to really optimize the inputs that they're bringing into their farm. They can also view weather information as well. So it also helps a farmer to say, hey, if, if he's spread out across a couple counties, maybe one farm got rain and another farm did not, and they're trying to go out and plant the crop. So it helps optimize their time to say, well, we can't plant at that north farm today, but we can definitely plant at another farm because we see that it didn't get any rain last night. Michelle, as you look at this technology, Tell us a little bit more about the application use. Do you have to have a specific color of equipment to use the climate field view technology? It's a great question. So the, the one thing that's wonderful about climate field view is that this hardware plugs into almost any kind of equipment any, any color of equipment and any combination of equipment. So um, it'll plug into our compatibility. We have a very large range of places where um, of different pieces of equipment that we plug into for harvest, for silage chopping, for, um, for different types of combines. We'll also, you can plug it into a tractor for planting. You can plug it into an applicator when you're putting on chemicals or, um, or applying nitrogen. So the compatibility is really all over the board. You can, you can use it in almost anything. We do also have the ability that if you do not have a monitor in the cab of your piece of equipment, there are also ways to be able to just do like a steady rate on a hybrid and be able to do a manual layer that way as well. So there are many different ways to be able to utilize the product if they were not compatible. So Michelle, I want to talk about pricing here because you guys offer a whole lot of different solutions and features for your customers. So why don't we dive into the pricing if some of our audience members are wanting to get into Climate Field View? Climate Field View has a one-year subscription for $99 a month that was launched about a year ago, so last fall at a, at a $99 price point. If you are a customer that is on Bear Plus or you buy your seed through a Bear seed dealer, we can an offer a free year trial for those people who are Bear, current Bear customers, and so they don't have to pay the $99. So we've tried to make it as easy to access as possible. We know that these tools are something that farmers want, but sometimes the price points are, are hard to get through. So we know that farmers want to get there. So we're trying to remove any type of hurdles that we could have at a price point standpoint. Absolutely. And Michelle, as we kind of wrap things up for today, talk to us about the future of Climate Field View. Do you guys have any new products or any new offerings rolling out the pipeline here soon that our growers should be aware of? Sure, sure. So climate has always been the easy tool to use and an easy tool to get access to, right? So it's always user-friendly. Our growers and dealers always tell us that it's the most user-friendly product out on the market. So we are continuing to make enhancements to, um, to different features that growers have told us. It's easy to use, especially within the app. 
but we have made some enhancements to the desktop. We've improved some of our scouting features, our field region reports, our field filtering reports on the web, and also on Android for some people in, in other countries. So we are bringing a lot of those types of enhancements to the marketplace. And then we constantly, constantly are working at on equipment compatibility to be compatible with those those brand new combines or planters that are coming off of the market. Fantastic. Well, Michelle, thank you once again for joining us today. Really quickly, before we let you go, if folks have questions about Climate Field View, what website should they be headed to? They can go to climate.com or they can contact their nearest bear representative. Fantastic. Well, Michelle, thanks again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate it. again to the folks over at Climate Field View for coming on and chatting with us. It was definitely a great conversation. We're always having some really cool tech conversations for our Tech Tuesday episodes. And there's never a shortage of them, Delaney. I feel like the ag tech world is forever growing. I don't think we're ever going to see it stop, which is fine. I mean, definitely need, you know, as we adapt, like we were talking about earlier, as we adapt, we move forward, we're going to need new technologies. So I'm glad that we're able to have those conversations on the Ag News Daily podcast. Yeah, and there certainly is so much new tech coming out, coming down the pipeline for agriculture. It's certainly exciting. It can be a little overwhelming. So it's important to uh, try and make those distinctions for yourselves. And thankfully, we can help you make them because we talk tech every Tuesday on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Catch up on any of those past episodes you might have missed. Find us at Ag News Daily or agnewsdaily.com. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.